Welcome to the uh, episode 23 of Rick Brown podcast. I get to Switzerland and I am all set to go. Still very excited about what we accomplished in Eisenach and was really, really looking forward to spreading the gospel. Like a missionary in a sense. But I also knew that it takes more than just one individual to do the preaching and get things done. It had to be an organizational undertaking. Everyone must be aligned. GM is full of smart people. I mean, we recruit from the best schools and poach from the best competitors. Talent is not what sets GM back. It is often our inability to work together as a team. Central staff exists in a way to pull everything together and it plays a coordinating function. Sometimes it overdoes it, I know, but nonetheless, uh, it is often necessary. Correcting the usual problem of the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing. I became that training guy from the central staff. Though I had received, uh, I hardly received any concrete direction. The leadership from the GMIO chairman down was very, very supportive. And with that, I started my journey. I expected to be around for three years to oversee the integration of the Eisenach production principles into our GMIO operations, primarily in Europe. Knowing that time, uh, knowing that time framework, I knew I could not do everything. I had to pick my fight in a way and focus on key areas. They were one, prepare the training manuals for everyone to use. Two, train leaders in each plant so that they can carry on the lean production training, a way of cascading training. And three, schedule time to conduct on the floor, conduct the on the floor training. In addition to training, with Nakata-san's help, we also started to roll out a business plan deployment process, a performance tracking system that was much more transparent and with more built-in accountability. I will touch on this subject a bit more later. As far as the goals were concerned, the material preparation was not so difficult. As I said before, we had plenty of source materials and I just had to plan and set aside time to complete the manual. Cascading training also went fairly well. Training managers at each plant cooperated with me. And some plants like Belgium incorporated this training requirement as part of the manager's performance assessment. Some plant managers supported the effort more than others, and some even signed up to teach classes. On the floor training, on the floor training at times was, however, a bit more controversial. Doing an audit with production managers was uneventful, and most of them went along. But in fact, it is fascinating to see how much waste is built up on how you do your work. And at the end of the way, at the end of the day, come up with ways to eliminate them. Like seeing your garage totally cleaned out of all that mess. Working together and showing the way is the only way to convince people that the line balancing exercise is not intended to make people work faster, but it is designed to have them work more efficiently. However, line balancing training was difficult to execute. One, it was difficult to set aside time and place. So in many instances, we had to set up a makeshift operation like in a pilot area somewhere, 
done by a selected number of people forming forming a team. We taught people how to monitor each task, capture them on paper, and time and record them, and eventually evenly balance out the entire team in terms of each person spending even amount of time to complete a cycle time. This concept of Heijun cut is not hard to understand, but once the baseline is, is established, it took many trials and errors to rearrange the work sequence and reallocating work. The end result is elimination of waste in the teamwork and ability to standardize each operation, which in turn serve, serves as the baseline to explore the next round of continuous improvements. As you can imagine, many people were initially very allergic to the use of a stopwatch to time how people worked. It was in a way a return to Frederick Taylor and his time and motion studies. It took a lot of teamwork and we had had many successes. Personally, it was the most interesting part of my training responsibility. So that was what I was doing in Switzerland in the office in Zurich working on putting together training materials and visiting various plants, conducting training. And maybe just over a year into my assignment to Switzerland, GMIO's planning department started discussions with Suzuki Motor Company about co-developing a new small Opel vehicle, which eventually became the Opel Aguila. Though I was not involved full-time initially because of my com commitment to training, they started to take up more and more of my time. Scott Mackey, who was the planning vice president then, who was leading the discussion with Suzuki, often tapped me to help him out with John Butler's understanding. He and I interfaced at Kami, and he knew about my background with Suzuki. And this was just an inkling, inkling of things to come. With the introduction of business plan deployment process at the plants, Nakara-san and I started to discuss the potential of using a similar process for tracking vehicle development. Eventually, he asked me to set up a new department within GMIO. This was definitely a full-time job, and I had to seize my training role and devote my energy in this new area. This was perhaps at the end of two years doing the training work. For a while, I was juggling too many plates up in the air, and it was getting difficult to do all that at the same time. So eventually, John let me go. With the strategy board's approval, I was assigned as the director of vehicle development tracking. I left John Butler's personnel group and moved over to the GMIO materials management group, led by an Opal veteran, Hans Barth. Hans gave me a promotion as part of this transfer. Those were the days when promotions did not come easily. In fact, many executives were demoted back to classified or non-managerial positions. I was already an executive, but this promotion led to a new level within the executive classification. It was more symbolic than anything else, but I really appreciated Hans looking after me like this. Knowing that I needed to stay close to his operation in Zurich and the actual development mostly happening in Rüsselsheim, Hans set me up two, with two offices, one in Zurich and the other as part of the Opel Rüsselsheim complex in Germany. While in Zurich, Nakanda-san was my mentor in this area and Hans gave me a free reign to work with him. Even for someone like Hans, who was well immersed in the automotive business, this was a new and refreshing idea. 
Takada-san was very valuable in showing me how Toyota handled this activity. And in fact, he shared with me the actual tracking sheets that each Toyota chief, en chief engineer used. And as I already mentioned, Nakara-san also made arrangements for me to visit Toyota's Motomachi, Tahara, and Takaoka plants. I also went to Numi, where this tracking process was used extensively. They were all very, very helpful in sharing with me the information about their tracking processes and materials they, they uh, deployed. In the early phase of this assignment, as I was developing the process, I spent most of my time in Zurich. Once I was ready to implement the process, I was giving a go-ahead to hire several people, and Hans, and Hans on the other hand, contact, contacted Peter Hamburger, the head of uh, Technical Development Center for Opal, to get his support and start tracking his development process using the new system. Peter was all in. He and I got close over the years and all started with his visit to Eisenach and his involvement with uh, Scott Mackey in exploring this new Opal vehicle with Suzuki. He and his wife invited my family to his place for dinner several times. It was really nice of him. Relatively a newcomer in the Opal engineering world, this connection really helped me handle responsibilities. With Hans and Peter's help, I went about hiring my staff in all, I ended up with a team of about five people, including even a secretary working in this new department. One was a young female engineer, a very young, almost fresh out of college. I remember her face, but unfortunately cannot remember her name. Another one was a, an Opal veteran who helped me open many doors. He also came out of manufacturing engineering, thus creating a link between not just with product development group, but also with those that worked on setting up a plant to launch the very product we were tracking. The Opal Manufacturing Group was sort of a closely knit group, but with my colleagues' help, we also got their buy-in to work with us. And another Hans was his name. Another person, this Hans came from Hungary, an Opal plant with a very interesting history. Oh, I'm sorry, the uh, guy from the manufacturing engineering who helped me, his name was also Hans. And another person came from Hungary, an Opal plant with a very interesting history prior to Opal's purchase in 1992. His name was Gabor Gerenser. And another one, Andy, an engineer that we hired from Nissan UK. It was a small group and not a very visible one, but thanks to Hans and Peter's knowledge and help, what we started to do mattered a lot. At the same time, Opal also formed a special Astra launch team. This model, the successor to Opal's popular Cadet, was first launched in 1991. When we formed our new group, Opal was getting ready to launch the second generation model, which eventually came out in 1998. Astra is a very important model for Opal, our Volkswagen Golf competitor, and the organization went all out to make sure the second generation model came out on time and within budget. This special launch team was asked, tasked to do just that. This group was headed by a guy named Peter Gohler, an executive who has worked extensively with Hans Barth in the past. We were co-located in the same building. He had almost 20, 22, 20 people or so working in the team compared to our six, including me. 
With Peter's group worked around the clock on Astra, the biggest program our group had to track was the Corsa, which was originally launched in 1982. This is the car that put Opel on the map, especially in the subcompact segment, which was filled with cars like Volkswagen Polo, Toyota Yaris, Renault Clio, Ford Fiesta, and Honda Jazz. Its third generation model was due to be launched in 2000, two years behind the Astra. Though it was not widely known, beyond those who were familiar with the original Corsa, the model was actually designed by a Japanese uh, designer, Hideo Kodama, who was a senior designer at Opal's design studio. If I remember correctly, our group also tracked the tail end of the development of this third generation Vectra, Opal's midside family car. Once our group established various linkages with all that all the right functions within Opal, we started track and progress in sharing the status with the management. The work that required to do all the tracking cannot be spelled out on one sheet of paper, but our task was to digest all the progress on one sheet of paper that our team member presented to Opal's management once a month. We tracked progress in the sourcing area, parts development, including quality, manufacturing, engineering, and plant readiness, team member hiring and training, cost development, after sales preparedness. All areas that basically kept abreast of what was happening in each of course of development. And if one area fell behind on the timeline, we would also track its recovery effort. And we presented a so-called status on a monthly basis. Opal management found this approach refreshing. Instead of having each functional leader present a status report separately, our team got up and provided the management team an entire picture of what was happening in all areas, maybe perhaps in a like in a 30-minute presentation. We asked the functional representative to provide a detailed report when the function was running behind and had to catch up. By the way, that happened a lot. But the way we addressed it was compact to the point, and we always walked away with good management knowledge and recovery plan. Hans liked what we were doing and supported us at every monthly status update meeting. He showed up for every session. Another reason our group was able to garner credibility was the fact that Hans Demma, who was the global vehicle line executive for the program, gave us full access to his team activities and was totally supportive of our effort. We had to tell it like it is in front of all the executives, but Hans and Hans both covered our behind for us. Looking back on those days, nothing was easy. When I came on as the training director doing stuff in the manufacturing area, trying to spread the Eisenach gospel, GMIO already had a quality network production systems group. In a way, my presence made them less secure in what they were doing, the typical internal struggle. But with the leadership support and credibility I brought along as being part of the Eisenach launch group, we managed the relationship. When I introduced the business plan deployment process, I had to fight against almost every plant management group. I was basically showing them a better way, simpler, more transparent way of performance tracking. And you know how that goes, not invented here syndrome. For some plans, it took the usual, you shall listen to Rick edict from GMIO leadership. 
and dance grudging support. One GMIO executive that saw what I was doing with the plants, with the simplified performance tracking system, was the head of GMIO sales and marketing. One day he stepped into my area and asked if BPD could also be applied to his area. The business plan deployment process or the BPD process can be applied to any area. And the beauty is it is up to each group to determine what activities to track and how. Darren Clark, the vice president of sales and marketing was his name. And he became a cheerleader for my intent to push BPD across all functions especially in staff functions. He even took how he was applying BPD to track sales and marketing to the strategy board. It's good to see that this BPD process is still practiced within many parts of GM even today. Vehicle development tracking activity was the same. But Peter Goller did not like the attention that we were getting and the process we were doing was a significant departure from how he was tracking the Astro program. He always tried to belittle us. I mean, he was like a 30 year veteran of Opal and when it came to keeping the management abreast of what was happening, he had to share the stage with this American kid who looked Asian, who came out of nowhere. But we stayed the course and persisted. I often talk about the reasons why I survived a 30 year career within GM. The main reason really evolves around the leaders that gave me full support. Izawa-san's help in introducing me to the GM culture, Tom Lasorda and his leadership, both in Canada and Germany, and now in Zurich, Dan in manufacturing, Hans Barth with vehicle tracking, Peter Hannenberger and Hans Demont in engineering, and Lou and Dick from the very top, giving a clear go, go sign. I was never left alone to do a job, and that persisted till the end of my career at GM. I have seen so many people who stepped into a job, but basically end up being left alone with no hands-on support and no necessary resources. In that case, some people just live with it and stay with the company, but without any enthusiasm. Most capable people when faced with this apathy, just quit and move on to somewhere else, something else. For me, the bosses, they paid attention to what I or my group is doing. They bought off on our activity plan, tracked progress, worked together on course corrections, stepped in on our behalf when necessary and helped implement. PDCA, the plan, do, check and action, so fundamental, so simple a process, yet not an integral part of management culture at Opal. Very hands-on, but in a very empowered way. These leaders kept me going up to this point. And on a personal front, when Melanie graduated from high school, the whole family moved back to Detroit with her. We purchased a townhouse, a small one in Ann Arbor, where my family lived together, while I stayed back in Switzerland to continue doing what I was doing. As a result, I moved out of the house we lived in Langnau and moved into a small flat in downtown Zurich. It was a sad time living myself, not being a social animal. I often spent weekends and evenings myself on weekends, especially, I went on long drives, cutting across the Alps, felt really free. Then I moved on to a new assignment, which eventually necessitated me to be stationed in Rüsselsheim. Sheko and Shingo came back to be with me in Frankfurt, as well as our daughter, the eldest daughter, Aichan. 
he leased a down uh, townhouse in downtown Frankfurt, a little different than the first one that we had in the Taunus region when we first moved to Germany. We moved into a penthouse at the top of a large uh, townhouse with a new a few restaurants at the base, which included a super Italian. It was also located very near the home of Henninger Brewery. We could tell by the smell. The reason why I had to relocate, relocate back to Germany was my new job with Opal. As I was doing my vehicle development tracking job, as I mentioned before, the discussion that Opal had with Suzuki were getting serious about the Opal Aguila. And I was pulled into those discussions more and more at the time went by. And this is the topic that I would like to uh, devote and cover in my next episode. So thank you very much for listening today.